electronic device with your Bible. I'm a child of God. I have in my hand powerful Word of God. It can change lives, heal broken hearts, save man's soul. Lord Jesus, today, speak to me. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, Woo! It's been raining outside. Now look back at that neighbor and say, Woo! You look great today. I look back at that neighbor and say, And I love you. We are in week 15 of our series. We're almost about halfway through our series on the story. We're still in that dark time in the life of Israel. Uh, The kingdom was torn in two. We looked at last week and saw how disobedience, walking away from God, caused the kingdom of Israel to be split in half. And God now begins, and we'll be in 1 Kings 16, 17, right in that area. So if you want to turn to those Bibles there. God was getting ready to send some warning signs. And I, in research, I, I found some warning signs I thought would be fun for us to look at. Let's take a look at a few of those. On a tractor, there was a warning label that said, Caution, Avoid Death. Well, I don't know about you, but that's a pretty good caution for anything, whether it's on the side of a tractor or not. The next one was on a stroller. It said, remove infant before folding stroller for storage. Now, my biggest concern is that somebody would have to have that warning that you would take the kid out before you fold it up. But I guess there are some of those out there. Then on a Batman costume, it said, warning, cape does not enable flyer user to fly. Well, everybody knows that Batman doesn't fly. Superman flies, not Batman. I mean, after all, come on. That's a pretty easy one there. How about on the side of a chainsaw? Do not attempt to stop the chain with your hand. (coughs) I think Bill Ingvall's thing, here's your sign, fits real well with some of these folks. Amen? Then I saw one that said, do not sit on the fence. Well, that's good advice, isn't it? Don't sit on the fence. Because sometimes if you sit on the wrong fence, it can cost you. If it's barbed wire, that's not a good thing to sit on. If you're going over the fence after you've stolen a watermelon and you hear a big bang and you feel something really, really stingy on your backside, not that I know anything about this. (laughs) Don't sit on the fence. Next one. This sign has sharp edges. So, what do you conclude from that? It was a sharp-edged sign. Stay away from it. It's probably a ninja sign of some kind. This one I love. Touching wires causes instant death and a $200 fine. So not only are you dead, but we're going to draw 200 bucks out of your pocket while you're laying there. Okay. uh, Is that the last one, Jeff? I thought it was. Okay. Warning signs. Sometimes we ignore them. Sometimes we listen to them and pay attention. And there are times when we need warning signs, don't we? There are times. Because danger is on every corner every day. 
And we've got to be prepared and be ready. We're going to talk over the next couple of weeks about God's prophets. They were God's messengers who warned of the destruction of Israel that was going to come in a greater way if they didn't make some changes. The thing I thought was important about this message is that we could lift this message from any of the headlines that we read today. This describes our culture, in America especially, and around the world, but especially in America. Church attendance is falling off greatly. Church membership is falling off tremendously. It's hard to find young people who will want to come to church because it's not relevant. It takes up time. It gets in the way. (coughs) And you've got to almost go to an entertainment type culture and atmosphere in order to fill a building. But that takes a lot of money. It takes a lot of money. If you're going to compete with Hollywood or New York, you're going to spend a lot of money. You've got to have the lights, you've got to have the smoke, you've got to have all the bells and whistles that you can possibly think. And it's absolutely amazing how it, how it can go. I've got a map up there of the northern kingdom, southern kingdom, the divided kingdom we saw last week. And uh, Judah's in the south. Jerusalem is in Judah. Judah, there was two nations that stayed. Ten went north. Two went south. Kind of reminds me of a song, Twelve Men Went to Spy. Okay, then ten were bad and two were good. <laughs> so, maybe you don't know that song. You didn't learn it in junior church. Shame on you. I should teach it to you sometime. The king in the north was Jeroboam. The king in the south was Rehoboam. They were the Boam boys. And why was the kingdom divided? We talked about it last week. It's because the people were not accurately reflecting who God was. They were disobeying Him. They were worshiping pagan idols. In fact, Jeroboam was so bold as to make some idols. (coughs) Sent a wrong message to the nations around them. Derek, could I get you to my water sitting right there by Chris on the floor, and I forgot to grab it on my way up. Thank you. I know in about five minutes I'm going to need that. <laughs> Thank you, sir. If my mugshot was uh, on the front page for robbing a quick trip, that wouldn't bode well for the church here, would it? And then if it showed up the next in another week with me stealing from a bank. You, you guys would probably say, you know what, I think we need to get rid of that preacher. <laughs> and rightly so. <clears throat> rightly so. Because I'm bringing a bad light to the church. So we need to live lives that bring glory to God. Not glory to ourselves, not glory to the world, but glory to Almighty God. It really doesn't matter whether you're noted <laughs> Or notorious. It only matters that God is glorified through your life. So God is saving a line through the southern kingdom to fulfill a promise to David, which was ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. God sent prophets to his people to call them back. The northern kingdom had 19 evil kings. 
All of them were evil. And to that group, to that northern kingdom, he sent Elijah, Elisha, Jonah, Amos, and Hosea. And I've underlined Jonah because he was of all of these that were sent, he was the one that was listened to the most. The whole city of Nineveh was converted. But you and I know that Jonah didn't really want to go. Jonah decided he was going to hide. And so God took care of that and put him in the belly of a great fish, whale or whatever you want to call it. And three days later, he got spewed up on the shore in Nineveh. And then he goes about preaching and the people respond because it started at the king and worked its way down. If you don't change the leadership of a nation, you don't change anything. So you've got to start with the leadership of the nation and they have to be changed. And be sincere in it. But one of the evil kings that was dealt with in the northern kingdom was Ahab. Let's take a look at 1 Kings 16. Ahab, son of Omri, became king over Israel in the 38th year of Judah's king Asa. Ahab, son of Omri, reigned over Israel in Samaria 22 years. But Ahab, son of Omri, did what was evil in the Lord's sight more than all who were before him. Then, as if following the sin of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, were a trivial matter, uh, were a trivial matter, he married Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and then proceeded to serve Baal and worship him. Now, I don't know about you, but I have never in my life met a girl named Jezebel. Have any of you, have any of you ever met a girl named Jezebel, other than this gal mentioned in the Bible? Well, I can know why. Because if the name goes with the person, whoo! Now, I'll bet you Jezebel was a knock-down, drag-out, beautiful woman outside. I'll bet you look at her and you go, I bet you would stop and look at her. She carried herself in such a way, and she looked, oh my goodness, she was a 29 in a scale of 10. And she knew how to smile, and she knew how to lift her eyebrows, and she knew how to bat her little eyes, and she knew how to hold her head, and she knew how to smell good. You met some of them? Don't raise your hand. It'd be trouble if you raise your hand. Jezebel. How many of you know Cruella DeVille? Some of you have a song, don't you? Jezebel's been described as the Cruella de Vil of the Old Testament. But I don't know how pretty Cruella de Vil was. Disney didn't do her any favors. But Jezebel, she was a bad, bad girl. Because when she got upset, Lord have mercy on whoever's around her. And Ahab, as we read, 
did more evil than all the kings before him. Now that's pretty bad. They were all evil, but they did more. It's kind of like your older brother or your younger brother or sister. See, if you're the younger, the older ones always did more evil than you do. Even if your hand's in the cookie jar, it's their fault for making you put your hand in there. Right? Because you're putting your hand in there to get them something to eat. Amen? See, that's the deal with Brad and Brian. Brad, Brad is the younger brother to Brian. Did you know that? When I first met Brian, I said, well, I wanted to see who the good-looking twin was. He said, well, you're looking at him. And he just grinned at me. But they're 15 minutes apart. 15 minutes he's older than his brother. But Brad's showing the wear and tear. You can see it. He's showing it. <laughs> Evil. Evil in the sight of Almighty God, Ahab was. Built a temple to Baal. Now, it's interesting that he built this temple to Baal because what Baal means, he was the god of weather. The god of weather. And he had God's prophets killed. So God's going to send a message. You see, when you break the laws of God, when you do the things against God's people, you ultimately are doing them against God. And when you do that, <laughs> there is a price to pay. Amen. Look at 1 Kings 17.1. Now Elijah the Tishbite from the Gilead settlers said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives, I stand before him, and there will be no dew or rain during these years except by my command. Now, I don't know about you, but one of the fun things about summer is you get up and at least there's dew on the grass. Except if you play football. And you hated dew on the grass when you played football because they had just mowed the grass the day before. And they always wait till it's long anyway. Then they mow it and the grass is laying on top of the ground in humps, clumps, and piles. And it's dewy. And you're out in it. And you're running and kicking your feet up and the grass is going everywhere and sticking to all kinds of places on your body. And chiggers are living in that grass. And then when chiggers get to be on your skin, they go, yum, yum. But it says no dew. Not even any dew. So the theme of the prophets is idolatry. You see, God has an issue with idolatry. The first two commandments deal with idolatry and the stories about God's story bringing glory to God. It's not about you focusing on something other than Him. It's all about the glory of God. And where there is idolatry, the glory of God is being robbed from Him and given to another. And you know as well as I do that God didn't want that. Now we skip over things. And we think things may not seem relevant to us. Because after all, we don't have carved images in our, and statues in our house. We don't have those. So it really doesn't mean much to us because we don't have them. I mean, I don't have any images in my house of false gods. Hmm. Is it possible that our hearts are where these false idols live? Is that possible? 
See, the question is, are you looking to something or someone to fill a position that belongs only to God? We go to the entertainment world. Turn on the TV. Oh, my goodness. Whatever you want to watch is available. Now, you may have to pay a little extra to get it. But you can get it. You can have all you want. They even got a thing called pay-per-view. Really? I can watch two guys boxing each other, knocking each other around the ring? And I got to pay to do that? Not that they have any idea how much it was. <laughs> now, I love football, as you know. But I get enough football on Friday night with the almighty championship Trojans. I'll, I'll add the championship there. And then I get a little bit on Saturday. Get a whole lot on Sunday. Well, I don't need to pay for any of it. If I got to pay to watch a team play, it was hard for me to go watch TU play when Corey Doris was there. Because I didn't get to be let off at the front of the gate where I didn't have to walk half a mile. I bet you Jeff made me walk nine miles that night. I'm used to getting off at the gate, going in the gate, and people saying, how are you, sir? Not, where's your money, boy? I had to actually pay money to go watch that boy play. That was wrong. That was wrong on too many levels. All of you are going, yeah, well, welcome to our world. Okay. How about relationships? Well, we look to somebody else to fill the void, you know, especially if we're married and things aren't going too good at home. Well, we start looking around. Things are looking better over there. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Boy, they just understand me better than my husband slash wife. It's just so much. They seem, to, they seem to know exactly what I'm thinking. So, I wonder. And we begin to think and think and think and think until the unthinkable happens. And then we go, man, I don't know how that happened. Really? You've been consuming yourself with the thought of it happening. How about money? I just, I just want enough to make me feel secure and to feel happy. Well, these coaches will tell you, being a coach. I mean, Bob Stoops, he coaches football at Oklahoma University. Is it up to $3 million now they pay him? To, how much? $3.5 million. Not that Michael knows any of this stuff. I know Brad and Bryant wouldn't want more than a million apiece. You know? I, I know. I know they would. In fact, I bet they would go for $100,000 apiece. We get them boys cheap now. Now, I don't know about you. But how many pro athletes are worth Forty-five, fifty million dollars. Zero. That's how many. <laughs> I love the one guy that was so bold the other night. They threw him out for six games because he had pine tar putting it on the ball. He had the he had it right here on his neck, like nobody's going to see. <laughs> okay. Love it. Love it. 
But you got to have money. Got to have money. Got to have more money. And the more I have, the better it is. So we begin to ask someone or something to do more for me than what God wants to do for me. Maybe we can identify some of the idols in our lives. The prophets came to point out the reality of idolatry in the people of God. Kyle Eidelman, we did a study through one of his books a year ago called Not a Fan. He wrote another book called God's at War, and it deals with idolatry. But he asks a series of questions in this book that are really, in fact, I think the teenagers are studying through this book. But he asks, he asks a series of questions that I think are really pertinent for us. What, let's take a look at some of them. What disappoints you most? What disappoints you the most? Is it your career? Is it your finances? Is it your marriage? Something you put your hope in besides God? Another one is, what do you complain about the most? Oh, you don't complain. I understand. You don't complain at all, do you? You get behind the wheel of that, that round wheel, behind, you know. And you start down the street, and the first thing you can praise God for are those neighbors who've parked in the wrong place. And you've got to back your car out just a certain way so you don't hit their car. And then you get down to the end of the street, some goofy kid runs out in front of your car. Where's the parents of these kids? I mean, you haven't even gotten three blocks and you're already so steamed up, you don't know where to go. And then you get down to that traffic conglomeration out by Reesers to get on the turnpike. And sure enough, you get there and the green light on this side turns red. Which means you've got to sit through all the progression of all those other lights before you can turn. Uh, you see, what, see what's happening? Then you get on the turnpike only to find out that your turnpike, and they don't even say thank you anymore. And you, you're going through there and it just looks at you. Low balance. It's not going to be a good day. What do we complain about? Where do you make financial sacrifices? What worries you? What scares you? What makes you mad or angry? Where do you go when you, when you hurt? Well, for some, they run to the refrigerator. There's mine. Got to grab some of that comfort food. I look through there and see what I can eat. Because that food never, ever, ever talks back to me. That food never, ever, ever says anything but, I love you. I love you. And if I should ever, ever, ever have in my life again a bowl of butter brickle ice cream, you know I'm fixing to die. <laughs> and I will die gladly eating my last bite of butter brickle ice cream. What brings you the most joy? Is it the relationship with Jesus? And then whose applause do you long for? Whose applause do you long for? Do you want a boss or a spouse or a parent or a friend or a boyfriend or a girlfriend just to tell you how great you are all the time? Because folks, we're not great all the time. We struggle, don't we? Yeah, we do. But we need encouragement. And positive words can build encouragement. Amen? A pat on the back can build encouragement. 
A hug can do a lot to help you. I love my little grandson. He likes his papa. And he runs. He'll find me, man. And he just, he's got those arms up. He wants to be picked up right now. And Cindy will try to come and get him. And he turns his shoulder away. <coughs> and his papa inside's going. <laughs> but I know what's going to happen. That boy's going to figure out who's buttering the bread before too long. And he knows it ain't me. That's all right. I had a friend when I was a kid. We were about nine. He, he loved pocket knives. Any of you have friends like that? Maybe you were one of those people. And we were both surprised to find at Pizza Hut in the gumball machine, you could get one. Now, the only problem was we thought we had something really good. And it comes out and it's really worthless. It looks like a pocket knife. But it couldn't cut its way out of a piece of paper. <laughs> it just wasn't the same. Well, we're surrounded in our culture by cheap substitutes for God. We don't even notice it anymore because we've gotten so used to it. We've just kind of learned that we find our hope, our security, our identity in these things. But every once in a while, we have a moment where we think this can't be all there is. It's because we've settled for something other than God to satisfy us. We've settled for cheap substitutes. I always think it's interesting how Easter Sunday, the house is full. Post-Easter Sunday, by half. But today it's less than half. Why? Because it's raining outside. Heaven, we can't get the car out on a rainy day. But at 6 o'clock in the morning, you'll be fighting the traffic in the pouring down rain with hailstorms as big as golf balls because you've got to be... Baal was considered the god of weather and of sun and rain. And that's why it's interesting that God did what He did when He withheld the water. He withheld the rain. Now, we've been in a drought situation here in Oklahoma. So when it was pouring down rain a while ago, the sun's already shining again. But when it's pouring down rain a while ago, man, I thought, this is awesome. Bring it on. We can't get enough. Now, I don't want the Noah in the ark kind of water. Unless I get to be in the ark. But God's withholding a blessing because they had elevated other things to a godlike status. And so God says, You're going to worship rain? Well, I'm going to take it away from you. God won't bless His competition. We ask God to bless us financially, but we're not going to give to it. We ask God to bless our, our career, but we won't dedicate it to Him. Our speaker last night at men's dinner felt a call in his life to be a youth pastor. And every, every time he pursued that, the doors closed, the doors closed, the doors closed, the doors closed. So now he's a sergeant in the police force in Tulsa. And he said, what I've discovered is I'm on a mission field. Because he deals every day with people who are hurting and officers who are hurting. And God gives him an opportunity. Told us some of the war stories and those are always fun. But it's great to see what God does in, in his life and has been doing in his life. But God is wanting to get his people's attention so he withholds the rain. But often the opposite is true. When we put God's 
first in our life, the rain falls. Those of you that know tithing know exactly what I'm talking about. If you are a tither, you understand how God blesses you far beyond what your ability is to receive it. And if you haven't tithed, if you're afraid to tithe, you say, man, I'm so overloaded now, I can't, I can't give that much money. You can't give 10% of what you have? It's all God asked for. I think the government should learn that. It works for God, it ought to work for them, amen? 10%. They still have more money than they can deal with. But so would we. And of course, you would turn around and tithe that to God, wouldn't you? And all people say it? Sure you would. <laughs> Let's go to 1 Kings 18. Now summer, I summon all Israel to meet me at Mount Carmel along with the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab summoned all the Israelites and gathered the prophets at the Mount Carmel. What's that? 21's not there? Well, he built an altar. I'm going to paraphrase. He built an altar and asked God to consume his altar, and he did. But before he, God consumed the altar, he let the prophets of Baal and the prophets of Asherah go first. And what they did is they sat around and cut themselves and bled all over the place. That's all they did. And they called out, Baal, 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 Baal. And while they were on their last, I mean, they were fixing to bleed out, they were yelling, and so you know the story he gets the altar up there altars are made out of wood well this one's made out of wood leaning the wood all together he digs a trough around it tells the servants to go get water they bring water if you pour water on wood it usually doesn't burn very well they not only poured water they kept pouring water kept pouring water kept pouring water until it filled up the trough and it ran over onto the rest of the Mountaintop. And then he steps back and says, God, prove who you are. And fire from heaven came. Consumed the altar. Licked up all the water. You see, that's, a, that's how fun God is. God didn't only take care of the altar. He licked up the water. Saturating the whole area. And then, then he goes over and does a mercy killing. He kills the rest of them. All of them. Those that hadn't bled out and died. He killed them. That's a lot of people. I bet that boy's arms were wore out. Jabbing and slicing, jabbing and slicing. And then the Bible says he outran the chariots back to town. I always love that story. I can just picture him. He's running alongside the chariots and the the horses are doing the double take. Whoa! (coughs) As he runs by them. But the people said nothing when this happened. Why? Because they wanted... Both. They wanted both of them to win. They wanted God to win, but they also wanted the prophets to win. If they wanted Baal, they would have yelled out Baal. That's not what they wanted. They said that we want God. And God won't share that role. You're either going to have Him as God or you're not. First Kings 18. So they took the bull that He gave them prepared it, called on the name of of Baal from morning until noon, saying, Baal, answer us. But then was no sound. No one answered. 
And they danced, hobbling around the altar they had made. And at noon, Elijah mocked them and he said, Shout loudly for he's, he's a God. Maybe he's thinking it's over. Maybe he has wandered away or maybe he's on the road. Perhaps he's sleeping and we need to wake him up. And they shouted loudly and cut themselves with knives and spears according to their custom until blood gushed over them. That's, that was the biblical account of what I just told you. Bleeding. How primitive was that? But are we really that different? Some of us bleed for the God that we put in Almighty God's place. Maybe you've almost bled out for the God of alcohol. I mean, you've sacrificed everything to worship that God. Maybe in worshiping the God of sexual pleasure, you've sacrificed your marriage or intimacy with a, with a mate. You've sacrificed time with your children for the God of successful careers or the God of that toned body. I don't know if I'll ever have a toned body. I don't think you can call what I do working out, but it's, I'm moving all the parts that I've got. It's pretty ugly. Especially when I have to get up off the floor. It's really ugly. But at least I can get up by myself. I don't have to have somebody come pull me up. So there's, there's progress. But at the end of the day, I always find myself sitting over the corner, gasping for air, hoping that the Lord would return quickly and bring that imperishable body. Because <laughs> I have messed this one up. But we bleed for our gods because they're different, but we still bleed. But nothing happens, so Elijah prays, chapter 18. The time of offering the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet approached the altar and said, Yahweh, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that you are God in Israel, and I am your servant, and that your word I have done all these things. Answer me, Lord, answer me so that this people will know that you, Yahweh, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. Keep going, Jeff. Then Yahweh's fire fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and it licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell face down and said, Baal, Baal, he is God. Baal, Baal, he is God. Isn't that what your Bible says? What's your Bible say? Yahweh. Yahweh, He's God. So we ought to understand that idolatry is not only offensive to God, it's hurtful to God because God loves us. He's jealous of our hearts. He wants our hearts to be tuned to Him, our hearts to be focused in Him. And when we give our heart to an idol, it's like we're cheating on God. It's like we're prostituting God. That's a more powerful word, isn't it? Another prophet about this time was Hosea. And he would preach so that the people will know how much I love them. You see, we've offended God and we've hurt God by allowing other things and other people to be more important than Him. He's not a priority. We give Him an hour a week, mark it off our list, done my God thing. But God says, I want you back and I love you. And the warning of the prophets is this, there is to be nothing, no one that is to sit on the throne of your heart other than Almighty God. And if you're asking God to share His throne, then you need to repent and you need to put God back in His rightful place. And your story needs to start about being 
about the glory of God. And the message of the prophets is, if you haven't been doing that, the good news is you can start today. You can come home today. And God's forgiveness will be great today. Father, I ask you this morning to just be very real and very close to us. I've kind of rambled on today, Lord, and not sure I've made a lot of sense. But your word says that it will not return void as we present your word. And so, God, I'm praying that today, in the feeble fashion in which your messenger brought it, that you will do a mighty work through your spirit in the hearts of the people who heard it. God, we are so much like Israel. And we have pushed you aside in so many ways. It is so time for us to repent, to get on our knees and to call out to you and to get back to you to doing the things that you've called us to do. Father, there are people that only we can speak to. You've individually asked each of us to be your mouthpiece. We don't have to use a megaphone to do it. Sometimes it's even more effective if we just have a cup of coffee. But nevertheless, God, we've got to say something. And so I'm praying today that you will be active and alive in each of our hearts. And follow that we will know and experience you in a very, very real way. And today may be that day. Could it be that day? And one person in this room who says, I'm going to come back to God. I'm going to fall on my knees and come back to God. Coming forward doesn't mean any more than accountability. We can fall on our knees right where we are and call out to you. Because God, the most important thing is not that I show myself to other people, but that I show myself to you. And so God, I'm praying today that you give courage to those that need it and that decisions will be made because they're going to be made one way or the other. They're going to make the changes or not. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing a great song of invitation. If God's tugging on your heart to respond, would you this morning, just as I am.